We're going to begin reading from Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. And every one of us here want to be a faithful person. We want to be a loving person. We want to be somebody you can trust. And to be loving, you have to be faithful. And so today, as we read the word of God and the Lord calls us unfaithful, it's something that none of us are going to want to hear. But the Lord tells us the truth not to condemn us, but to save us. And that is what he'll be doing this morning. And so while it's not something that none of us want to hear, it's good that we hear it because we have an opportunity to repent and be forgiven for it and be saved. And let's begin reading Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus says, you have heard it. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And now as we read through this passage of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to go commandment through commandment through many of the Old Testament commandments and say, you've heard it said that it's God's will that you don't murder, that you don't commit adultery. But actually, I tell you that what is actually godly is up here. You thought you were being godly by doing this, but actually to have the love of the Lord, you have to do this. It's much harder than you originally anticipated or thought. When Jesus comes, he does not get rid of the rules. In chapter 5, verse 17, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. Absolutely not. What was loving yesterday is loving tomorrow. And as we read a, a few chapters later, they ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He says, all of the Commandments, the law and the prophets hang on these, that you love God and love your neighbor. And so all of the commandments of the Old Testament are what it looks like to be loving. If we love naturally from the heart, we would do these things and he wouldn't have to command us to because we'd be doing them naturally. But we don't love people naturally. What actually comes naturally is to not love other people. And so the Lord has to tell us all of these things to guide us in what actually means to love others. And of course, we're so prideful in our hearts, we think we're loving and we convince ourselves that the things we're doing is loving, but turns out none of that is loving. What is loving is to do this. And so Jesus says, I haven't come to get rid of any of that. What was good before is good now. It'll be good in the future. Being a good God, I can't get rid of any of that. And so Jesus, when he comes, he doesn't lessen the rules that God has given, he doesn't say it's not a big deal. He says it is absolutely a big deal. In fact, it's a bigger deal than you'd ever imagined. It's more important than you'd ever imagined. To follow God's rules is actually more loving than you understood. Previously, the rules are God's wisdom. The rules are literally what it looks like to be loving. And Jesus takes the conventional wisdom and it says it turns out If you want to be godly, you've got to go a lot further than even that. And so what is adultery? Well, when Jesus taught about marriage, and we're going to read that next week in Matthew, and he'll teach about it here in Matthew chapter 5 and reiterate it in Matthew chapter 19, he affirms the Old Testament of marriage, that marriage is between a man and a woman. It's the relationship that when God sat down to create, he didn't create an individual, he created a relationship between a man and a woman, and he Jesus affirms the Old Testament teaching on marriage that it's a covenant between two people. It's an intimate relationship and a covenant that lasts for life. It's a relationship that when God sat down and thought, how do I want to create humanity? It's a relationship that he intended to create. It's a relationship that he did create, and it's a relationship that he blessed uniquely above all other relationships. And so adultery, what adultery is, is it's a breach of that covenant, and it's a break of the commitment and the intimacy that God intended for us to have in marriage. Adultery is any sex that happens outside of that covenant. 
And if you read the Old Testament commandments, it is one of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, 14 says, you shall not commit adultery. And God revealed that what is loving is that we commit to a spouse and then are faithful to them in a lifelong covenant, a lifelong relationship. And Jesus says, you've heard it said that you do not commit adultery, but I say, and here's Jesus teaching actually on marriage from Matthew chapter 19. I forgot this verse in the PowerPoint, Matthew 19, verse 4 through 6, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. We'll be diving into that a little bit more next week. But that is the biblical definition of marriage. And adultery is a, a breach of that covenant, of that intimacy that God intended for his people to enjoy. And so what is the punishment for adultery? Well, the punishment for adultery is like the punishment of any other sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul loves lists. And here the Paul, Apostle Paul lists many sins, not certainly an exhaustive list of sins, but many of them, and tells us what the punishment is for them. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Paul says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And so it's a salvation issue. Sin comes in between us and Jesus Christ. It comes in between us and heaven. It comes in between us and life. It says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so these are the things that separate us from the Lord, and the Lord is the way that we are saved from them. The penalty for adultery is like the penalty for every other sin. It's that we won't inherit the kingdom of God. Instead, our lives will end in death. You can't have a more serious punishment than the punishment for sin. And now the sexual revolution in our country has been going on. I wasn't even born yet from what I can tell. It started in the 1960s. It's just fascinating how this has happened. Just fascinating. I had a guy, a mentor of mine, who went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and uh, visited the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before it opened. They had a television on the outside of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame talking about the history of rock and roll, and it had the preachers stand up and say, if we glorify sex in our music this way, if we sit there and dance like this, then, I mean, it's going to open the door for all kinds of things. And he said, I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in our culture, all these people, 60 years later, stood outside and laughed at the preachers as they literally gave the prophetic word of God and told us where we're going and told us how we got here today. And now that we're here, we're too blind to even recognize what happened. It's incredible how Satan blinds us and deceives us. The sexual revolution has been going as far as I can tell, what, 1960, maybe a little bit before, where we just decided that you can have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, that love is love no matter what it is, and you can do whatever you want because love is love and God is love, and therefore God wouldn't care because love is love and love... And I, I would understand the argument that we were sexually repressed in the past... That might be a valid criticism. I don't know. I wasn't alive. I've read some of the Jane Austen novels. 
Seems there was a lot of repression hundreds of years ago. But oh, to go back. Oh, to go back and be free from this insanity. I just deleted the Facebook app off of my phone. I, I, I went and downloaded TikTok for a minute, and I was like, I can't even get on this thing. It's unbelievable. Now Facebook has tried to integrate it on its platform, and I just can't be on it. It's just constant garbage. No longer is it you in my news feed. It's 16-year-old girls who sit in their bedroom trying to get rich doing sexually seductive things. It might be terrible to be sexually oppressed, but Sodom and Gomorrah is not a good answer to the problem. How wonderful to go back. Every time I try to check the news, it's sex. In the advert, I can't get away from it. I go through the line of the grocery store. It's sex. Try to watch TV. It's sex. It's getting weirder and weirder. How wonderful to go back. A study was done on all the sexual acts on television and found that 10 to 1 of the acts, sex on television, are acts outside of marriage. 10 times. And they asked a TV producer why this was, one of the the most popular shows at the time. Why do you do this? And he says, well, most people aren't doing it, and so they want it, and they fantasize about it, and so we capitalize on that, and so we show it to them in our show. And so everybody who's not doing it can pretend they're doing it and enter in and experience some of the excitement that they want to. And our hearts want it. Read Romans chapter 1. The reason why we're here in our culture is this is what we want. And the discipline of God is after he gives us his commandments, he offers us his Holy Spirit, and we reject it and we say, no, we want this. He says, fine, you can have it. It's one of the main ways God disciplines his people. And so here we didn't want what we had, and we wanted this, and so the Lord has given it to us. And our culture promotes it because we watch it and we like it. Because what is in our hearts is not naturally faithfulness, it's unfaithfulness. And what Jesus is going to reveal is more than just physical adultery. Verse 28, Jesus says, you thought it was here, but actually it's here. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I would say this goes both ways. And so anyone who's looked at a man with lustful intent who's not her husband has committed adultery with him in her heart. And our our culture promotes what God punishes, our heart desires what will send us to hell. And our hearts desire what is unloving. And Jesus says, you thought it was here. And why why is Jesus ratcheting it up? Well, the Old Testament is a story about how we've rejected God. And pretty quickly, if you read Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, I believe it is, 
The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so the Bible is a story of a reconciliation between God and us. And so God starts small. He gives us basic things at first because the people have rejected him so thoroughly that they don't even know him anymore. And the only thoughts of our heart are evil. Without God, we are pure evil. And it makes sense. God is good. We are not. If we reject God and he honors that decision and removes his presence, then all that remains is evil. And that's where humanity was. And so that's where we began. As evangelicals, we have a strong understanding of the end times and eschatology and how it's going to get worse. And we think that it's just been getting worse from the beginning. That's actually the opposite. It's been getting a whole lot better from the beginning because we've had God's word. You should have seen how bad it was back in the day, Right? As God floods, has to flood the earth, as God has to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because the people's hearts are so hard, they've thoroughly rejected him. It's actually been getting better. Culture has been getting much better since the beginning because of the word of God. And he starts off teaching people who've completely lost their knowledge of him and relationship with him as he begins teaching them about himself. And so these were introductory morality, and as time goes on, the Lord reveals more and more and more to us until he comes in the flesh as Jesus Christ. Jesus takes that Old Testament wisdom and says, you weren't fulfilling the law of God just because you weren't actively, physically having adultery. Like, that's not what it looks like to be loving. That's like the baseline. That's like the least you could possibly do. He says, what is actually loving, and this is the kind of love that you deserve, and this is the kind of love that your spouse deserves, is full intimacy. A heart that is 100% committed to you. A heart that's 100% focused on you. That's the kind of love that I created you for. That's the kind of love I've created your spouse for. And anything less than that is sin. If you've looked at someone else, and had a moment of unfaithfulness and said, wow, that's not loving. That's not what I wanted. That's not what you were created for and made for. And that same lust that is in the heart of adulterer, which makes them actually go and do those things, turns out that's in you too. We have no right to look down on any sexual sinners. We have no right to look down on any sexual sinners. We have no right to look down on our culture, which has destroyed marriage, because we've done the same things. We're responsible. We're responsible for our sin, and we're responsible for where our culture has ended up. Adultery isn't loving to the person you committed. Physical adultery is a horrific Betrayal of the intimacy that you were promised or that you promised to give. I can't imagine going through that type of situation or that type of pain. If you've gone through that, may the Lord bless you. May he heal you because you were not created to experience that type of evil. God never intended for that. And if you have experienced the physical betrayal of your spouse, you can learn from a negative example just as strong as you can learn from a positive example. And the good that you can come out of it is that you know 
the evil of unfaithfulness, and you know the evil of the deception and betrayal of adultery, and you know the depths, and you know the depths of the evil, then you're more willing and able to appreciate the faithfulness of God. As opposite, or as evil as your spouse was, God is the opposite of that. God is completely faithful. If you've experienced complete unfaithfulness, and you have a better handle on what the value of God's faithfulness is. And whenever we've experienced great evil, there is an advantage to it. We know deeper in our heart that only our Savior can make us whole. He's the only one who ever could. No human being can do that for us. Only God, only the Lord, only Jesus. We're not actually going to focus on physical adultery today because most of us would look down on a cheater. Most of us came into this service thinking, yes, adulterers, they're dirty sinners. But what the Lord reveals to us is actually we have no right to look down on them at all. The same evil, the same lust is in our hearts. Last week, Jesus said that we're Guilty of his judgment on murder. This week he says that we're guilty of, our, of his judgment on adultery. And doesn't he know that you're going to get more flies with honey? I mean, who is this guy? Isn't he trying to grow his church? Doesn't he know how to do it? Man, is he blunt. Just brutally honest. And he does it because he's the most loving being that has ever existed. And he looks down at the evil that we're blind to, that we're so spiritually blind to. He looks down at the evil that we can stand, we can watch the word of God in prophecy, in retrospect, and laugh at it because we still don't recognize the bondage that we're in. Many of us sit here today enslaved and in bondage to pornography, and we don't even understand the damage that it's doing. And the Lord loves us. And he looks down and he says, I can't let you sit here like this. I can't let you sit here like a pig in the mud. I got to let you know about what's out there. You're so spiritually blind, you can't even see it. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to tell you about it not because I hate you, because I love you. I'm going to tell you about it not to condemn you, but to save you. And you were the... You deserve to be treated this way with this type of faithfulness and with this type of intimacy. And your spouse deserves it. And it has nothing to do with the way they look. It's a commitment because they are worthy of love and this is what love looks like. And if you aren't married, you deserve this from your future spouse and your future spouse deserves this from you. 100% commitment and faithfulness. And none of us have given it. This is what it looks like to be loving. This is the love of God for you. This is the love of God for your spouse. And none of us have loved like God loves. You know, it's incredible, the teaching of Jesus Christ. You've got the anger of murderers in your heart. You've got the lust of adulterers in your heart. We're the only group that gets together and talks like this. Do you know that? The church is unique from any other group. Any other group of people, what they get together for is what? 
their own glory. Every other group. The church is the only one. I went to a political rally once in 2008. There was this candidate that I've never seen in my life, unlike any other candidate. And I was like, I really, really, really think we need this candidate. No, of course they didn't end up winning. But I went to the rally because I was like, you know, this is important and I'd like to be involved in it. I went to the rally and it was probably the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. And I supported the candidate. The blindness there was overwhelming. Our guy is the best and he's going to do this and he's perfect and everybody needs to listen to us. It was ridiculous. The blindness of the people there and the weird, I was like weird, lack of complete recognition of any potential fault or failure whatsoever. It was just complete ridiculousness. And I laughed. I'm like, I'm going to vote for the person. I can't be a part of this. This is nuts. Because all they do is they get together and talk about how great they are. If you join a baseball team, what do they do? They just get together and all talk about how great they are. We're the, we're the, gonna be, we believe we're going to be the best baseball team. Believe it. Believe it. If you believe, we're, we're going to be the best. And you get together at church, and what do you talk about? We're not good enough. And it's godly to recognize it. It is necessary to re- recognize it. It is absolutely essential. It's important. You're in the greatest Battle of all of life. Talk about adventures. Way more interesting than a baseball game. It's literally the battle between God and Satan, good and evil. And the first step in entering the battle is to recognize that you're on the wrong side. And we get together and we don't talk about us. We talk about Jesus. How great is our God? He's the only way out. You aren't. He is. And the first step to recognizing that and the first step to making a difference is to realize that you aren't. And he is. And every other group does the exact opposite. What the world needs is me. In the church, we get together and say, what the world needs is Jesus. And Jesus comes. That's exactly how he talks. And he challenges us. What's so bad about lust? What's so bad about watching television shows which glorify sexual acts which lead to eternal destruction? What's so bad about watching pornography? What's so bad about watching a movie and rom- uh, a romance movie and fantasizing about being married to the lead character? Well, not only does it hurt your spouse and it denies them of the love that God created them for, but it hurts you and it takes away your joy. In a moment of pleasure, it takes away the joy that you should be having every other moment in your life. Think about when one of the happiest times in your life was. It's when you've adored someone and when that person adores you in return. And what does lust do? It robs you of that joy. Because no longer are you thinking of the person you have, you're thinking of someone you don't. And comparison in every avenue kills joy. In 1992, I didn't know what an iPhone was. We got a cordless phone. I thought it was fantastic. I was filled with joy. I would never go back to a cordless phone because now I've got something different to compare it to. 
And you sit there and you build up unrealistic things in your mind and in your heart, and you lust after things that don't actually exist, and it destroys the joy that you have that God has provided for you in real life. And you'd be far happier if you just ogled your spouse. But Satan convinces us that we wouldn't be because he hates you. That's why you do it. Satan convinces you that you'd be happier if you did this, but the person you're listening to hates you and wants to destroy you and wants to make you miserable. And this is how he does it. The more you're focused on your spouse, the happier that you'll be. The more you're focused on the one God gave you, the happier you'll be. And our culture plays on the sin in our hearts and encourages us to do things which lead to our physical unhappiness and our spiritual and eternal destruction. And you don't even need to go online to do it. You're capable of doing it with nothing more than your own imagination. One of the most common... (coughs) Spare you of that one, if I can. One of the most common statements that I heard when I started paying attention to conversations like this, like maybe back in like 1992 or something, and I heard it up until maybe 2008 or so, nine, um, and I don't hear it much anymore because I think the sexual perversion is so pervasive that uh, nobody even bothers to make an argument for it anymore. But the argument that I used to hear all the time was, God wouldn't care what we do in our bedroom. Why would God care what I do in my bedroom? Love is love. As long as I'm loving someone, why would God care? And Jesus reveals that God cares deeply what we do in our bedroom. Because how we love people has a lot to do with what we do in our bedroom. And turns out how you love someone is you pick someone of the opposite sex and you commit to them and are faithful to them for the entirety of your life. That's actually what love is. And so God cares a lot about what we do in our bedroom. In fact, God cares a lot more than that. It goes a lot. You thought that was restrictive. It goes way deeper than that. God cares what you do in your heart. He cares what you think about in your mind. Why wouldn't he? God loves you, and he loves the people sitting next to you, and he loves the person that you committed to, and that you said you'd be faithful to and deceived. Of course God would care about that. He's a God of love. We think if we get rid of God's rules, then we'll have a God of love. A God of love wouldn't be so restrictive. No, it's actually the opposite. You get rid of the rules, you get rid of God's love. When someone's mean to my kids, what do I do? I get mad. I enforce the rules because I love my kids. If I didn't care about my kids, then I wouldn't. I'd let any other kid beat them up. I'd let any other kid steal their money. I wouldn't care if anybody followed the rules if I didn't love my children. It's because God loves us that he tells us the rules and tells us to follow them. And it's because he loves us that ultimately he's going to enforce each and every one. We're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to give a full account of our life. We think if we get rid of God's judgment, then we'll have a God of love. A God of love wouldn't judge anybody. On the contrary, you get rid of God's judgment, you get rid of a God of love. You're left with nothing. Nothing. 
When I was in college, I remember watching it, an advertisement. As I was preparing for this sermon, I remembered I saw an advertisement in college for a TV show where someone can hire a private detective to follow their spouse to see if they're faithful. And of course, you know, they're, they're not because you wouldn't air anything otherwise. It's boring. And so all it is is you've got a private detective that tracks people down and reveals their unfaithfulness, and you watch the train wreck, and you look down on the adulterers, and you're enticed by the evil. I Googled it, and I thought, I wonder if that show made it. It's been on for 21 years. It's one of the longest-running TV shows of all time. We look down on adulterers, but Jesus revealed that we are just as broken as they are. Who can follow this type of love? Who can give this kind of godly love? The answer is nobody but Jesus. And we have a problem, and we need a savior. We need a God who can save us from this. Jesus says in verse 29, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And without a savior, this is what makes sense. I mean, without God's grace and forgiveness, this is what you do because it's so serious. The punishment against sin is so serious. If it's gonna keep me from heaven, I don't want it. Get rid of it. Cut it off. He says, if you're... In a sermon about lust, in a, in a passage about lust, he says, poke out your eye, cut off your hand. And Jesus, being a tactful savior, ends his list of body parts we should cut off there if we're lusting. And men, I'm sure glad, we're glad that he did. But in Matthew 15, 19, Jesus says this. He says, where sin really comes from is more than the eye. It's more than the hand. He says, for out of the heart, Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. He says, out of the heart comes all of this evil. It's not from your eye. It's not from your hand. And you can't cut out your heart. You'd be dead, which actually turns out is what we need to do. We need to die to ourselves and live to Christ. Paul says that you, that's inside of you, that's not what the world needs. That needs to die. Cut it off and make Jesus your Savior. Make Jesus your Lord. And while we can sin anywhere, I just want to talk for a moment about pornography. We need a God of grace. He gives us grace. He's able to save us from this situation. That's the whole point of this passage. That's the whole point of him bringing us up is he can save us from it. He can save us from it and the effects of it eternally. But the Lord our God can deliver us from what keeps us in bondage today. And while you can sin anywhere, your heart is not going to grow more faithful if you're looking at images and actively having your mind to be unfaithful to your spouse. And pornography is something that I'm sure we've all seen and that probably many of us in here are addicted to it and we might not even know that we are. If you don't think you're addicted to it, try not looking at it for a week or a month or a year and see how long it goes Try not looking for it and realize just how in bondage and enslaved you are. And it's awful stuff. 
It's incredibly addictive. It robs us of our joy. It leads to outrageous shame and deep bondage. And the Lord, our God, and his power can deliver us from that. And if you want to be delivered from it, the first thing I'd recommend you to do is to go online and download the program Covenant Eyes. It's great. It goes on your phone, it goes on your computer, and it monitors what you see, and it blocks all the content that it can, and then it's smart enough to see if you're going on something you maybe shouldn't, and what you do is you type in the other people who you love, you type in their email addresses, and then it sends them your activity. And so every time you go on something that's questionable, it sends it to them. Make your spouse your accountability partner. Make your small group leader your accountability partner. Make your mom your accountability partner. It will definitely begin to change the way you think. And it'll change what you look at. It's a fantastic program. Just because we all have a... I remember the first time I saw pornography. I think I was probably in the third grade. And I went over to a friend's house. And he had a magazine from his father. And he took it out and he showed it to me. And I was in third grade. I didn't even have a phone. I didn't have a cell phone. I can't imagine what it's like. Now it makes me want to never let my kids have a phone, never have my kids look at anyone else's phone. It makes me want to never have my kids come out of my house. It takes a minimum of 63 days to change a habit. But habits change. And you can change your habits. The problem is most people give up on day four. Why? Because they've got no strength. They're subject to it. They're enslaved to it. And so most people quit on day four. Satan will tell you that it's not possible. You've got sinful desires in your heart. How can you not gratify them? We all have these sinful desires. We've all failed. But it is possible. People change every day. And if you're sitting there and it's like, it's not possible, you're wrong. And I've counseled a few people who are addicted in different ways, and it's always interesting to see the blindness that they have. And I've counseled a few people in in this area, and they say, I'm addicted to pornography, and I say, well, how is your sex life? And they say, it's no good. And I say, well, do you think your spouse would feel more comfortable? Do you think you'd have a better sex life if your spouse was assured that your heart and your thoughts and your mind were committed to them? I say, no. Talk about deception. Some of the people I respect most are the people who've overcome deep addiction to pornography. I have a close friend that for 10 years struggled against this, maybe more. I have multiple friends that have gone to essay, sexual addicts. Oh, I wouldn't want to do that. That'd be awkward. Sounds like it'd take a lot of effort. 10 years sounds like a long time. You might not be able to imagine your freedom. But the deeper the bondage, the sweeter the freedom when you get it. 
The deeper the bondage, the more glorious your freedom. And if you are a sexual sinner, welcome to the club. Every one of us is. But not everyone is in this type of bondage. And you don't have to be either. And God is so good that he saves us not only eternally, but his power is for this life as well. And turns out what doesn't help is the legalistic following of the rules. You actually think it would. Follow the rules. Haven't you heard the rules? You think that would shame that type of shame, that type of challenge? That type of uh, condemnation would actually inspire people to turn from it. Turns out the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 through 8 that's actually not how we follow the laws of God. It's not by a strict following of the law. Paul tells us that the law is given without the power to follow it. What actually empowers us to follow the law is our repentance combined with the grace of God. It's actually grace that empowers us to follow the law. And God has unending grace for us. And that is power. If your Lord is the flesh, then you can't help but follow it. But through grace, the Lord replaces the flesh as the Lord of our life, and he becomes the Lord of our life and fills us with his Holy Spirit. And if Jesus is the Lord of our life, then righteousness is guaranteed to follow. And what we need to follow his law is not more shame, It's not more strictness, it's the grace of God. And it's counterintuitive. A lot of people, and they challenged Paul about this, a lot of people felt like, well, if you preach grace, people are just going to do whatever they want. Well, yeah, if they're not repentant. But if you're repentant and you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you ask for the gift of God's grace, Lord, give me the gift of you being the Lord of my life. What a gift! to remove Satan as the Lord of your life and replace that with the loving God who created you. There's no greater gift that can exist. And God does that not just for eternity, but he does that for us now. When I, I had a strong conversion experience because my mind was so far from the mind of Christ. And when I converted, the first thing that I thought, because I saw clearly, it was very powerful. The first thing that I realized is I love these five things more than I do Jesus. And I don't anymore. There's spiritual deliverance. And the Lord provides it. And Jesus condemns sinful behavior because it's the loving thing to do. And he loves you. And he wants you free. And I'm not perfect, but I'm different. I immediately changed my behavior. Because God gave me the gift of loving him more than the things that I was doing. Now let's go back. Can we go back to 1 Corinthians, Riley? Can you go back to 1 Corinthians 6, 9? Here's that list again. Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, neither adulterers, neither adulterers, neither men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy. Such were some of you. And we won't be perfect. That's not the message that I'm preaching. We're always in need of Jesus Christ's forgiveness. And I've done each one of the five things that I loved more than the Lord since then. But I'm not in the same bondage that I was, and I experienced freedom that I didn't think that I could have. Do you think that just because some of them were greedy and they were delivered from that, that there was never a bit of greed in their heart from the moment they were delivered till the day they died? It's not the point. 
but there is freedom to be found in Jesus Christ. Perfection will come when the Lord returns. But until then, what we have is freedom. And the Lord provides us for it today. And every time we fail him, we've got a God who loves us more. Every time we say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And then we go back and we do something on this list that we shouldn't do. Praise God. He doesn't just give us grace for today. He gives us grace for all time. As important as that rule is, and as important as it is, and as bad as it is that we've gone back and broken it, thank God we've got a God who loves us even more. And when he delivers us, it's not that we've been delivered to go and earn our salvation, that it's on our shoulders now. When we sin, he doesn't throw us out. When we sin, we don't lose our salvation. Because it was never about our salvation. It's about freedom to experience his blessings. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, sin no longer has the power to separate us from God. And we're forgiven. And when we fail, it doesn't break our relationship with the Lord anymore. We've got the same power that God offers before, during, and after. And what we're doing is we're not earning our freedom, but we're seeking to experience the blessings that God has intended for us in our life, and they're fantastic. What a blessing to your spouse. The holier you are and the more you focus on them. What a blessing it is that they can experience the love that God intended for them. And what a blessing it is for you to experience that as well. And whenever we do fail, whenever we do break the commandments, praise the Lord that he loves us even more. As important as it is to be loving, thank God we've got a God who loves us even more that when we fail, he never fails. He came to follow the rules in our place. While we haven't been faithful to anybody, the Lord says, do not think I've come to abolish the law of prophets. I have come to not abolish them, but to fulfill them. I've come to be the faithfulness that I've called you to. While we haven't been faithful, the Lord Jesus Christ has been faithful in our place. And through his forgiveness and death on the cross, he gives us that righteousness. Even though we've broken it, even though we haven't been faithful, the Lord takes our sin from us and he gives us his righteousness as a gift of grace. And those who put their faith and trust in Jesus receive that forgiveness. They receive that righteousness. And that future righteousness that they will have for eternity begins to break into our life now through grace and give us freedom now as well. And so we can experience that blessing not just for eternity, but in this life also. That when you think about your sin and you haven't received God's grace, all you feel and think about is condemnation. But when you've received the grace of the Lord, the more that you hear about God's grace, which you hear instead of condemnation, it replaces that with gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for doing what I can't do. 